0: Uh, brethren, I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 and we are going to look at from verse 13 and all the way to the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 3. And we are going to look at from verse 13 and all the way to the end of the chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me but Jesus answered him let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he consented and when Jesus was baptized immediately. He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. Uh, Brothers and sisters, the title of my sermon is Jesus, the true Son of God, our qualified Saviour. Jesus, the true Son of God, our qualified Saviour. And uh, brothers and sisters, I want us to spend the next three weeks thinking about the identity, the authority, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So for our time together this week, we'll look at this title, Jesus, our qualified Savior. And for the next sermon, next week, God willing, we'll look at Jesus, our qualified Savior, part two. And then we'll finish our mini-series with the sermon, Jesus, our all-sufficient Savior. Now, there are two major scenes or two major activities in this section of Scripture and if if you were to record this or or if you were to to dramatize what's happening here your lens would have to focus on one scene and then move on to another scene so the first scene would be this baptism of jesus christ that you see in matthew chapter 13 verse 16a and your next focus would be on the follow-up, the dramatic sequel to the baptism of Jesus Christ, which is found in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16b to 17. And so this is what I'm going to, to do this morning, brethren. This morning I want us to make observations from the two scenes out of the baptism of Jesus Christ so that we can be confident in Jesus as our qualified and exclusive Savior, And so we're going to observe these two scenes, the baptism of Jesus Christ and this dramatic sequel to the baptism of Jesus Christ. And make key observations that will help us to see that Jesus is the true Son of God, our qualified and exclusive Savior. Now, scene one, the baptism of Jesus Christ. And let's read this section uh, that captures this first scene. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 16a. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and Jesus was baptized. Now, brothers and sisters, what do we observe in this baptism of Jesus Christ? What are the key observations? What are the key things that we can pull out from this scene? What can we see? What can we observe? What do we see? Well, the first thing is that Jesus... Is humble. Jesus is humble. Jesus walks up to John and he says, You need to baptize me. But John wants to prevent him. You see, John understands hierarchy, John understands authority, John understands protocol. John understands that the one who is standing before him is the word of God the Father. John understands that the one who stands before him is one who is from before the world began. You see, John has this understanding that this man who is asking to be baptized by him is one who knows every star and every planet and he has fashioned them by his hand. John knows that this Jesus who stands before him it's Jesus who holds creation together by the power of His voice. He knows that the skies declare His glory. And yet, Jesus stands before John to be baptized. Brothers and sisters, the first act of the Messiah was to be humble. The first act of the Messiah was to be humble. It was not to declare himself as the glorious one. It was not to announce himself as this great one who is sent by God to save people. But his first act was to be humble. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time he may exalt you. You see, the entire life of Jesus was marked by humility. See, his incarnation was an act of humility. His birth was an act of humility. His entire life was a life of humility. He humbled himself all the way to the cross. Philippians 2 verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. God only uses humble servants. And we see the first act. Of the Messiah was to humble himself. So Jesus subjects himself to the baptism of John, not because of his sin or need for repentance, but because of his humility. Friends, we can depend on Jesus Christ because his humility draws us to himself. May his humility melt our pride. Uh, how, how about you? This morning, brothers and sisters, God will not work with one who is proud. The Proverbs 16 18 tells us that pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Now show me someone who is proud, I will show you their destination. According to Proverbs 16 18, their destiny is destruction. And we see here the first act of our Savior was to humble Himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this about Himself: "Learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart." This is the heart of a dependable Savior, gentle and lowly. We are still observing this scene, the baptism of Jesus Christ. And we want to ask this question. What else was Jesus signifying in his baptism? Look at verse 15. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So, the first thing that we see in the baptism of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is a humble Savior. The second thing that we see is that Jesus was being consecrated to his priestly work. You see, Jesus was not appearing before John as one who needs the baptism of repentance. He was appearing not as one who needs the baptism of repentance, but as one who is being set apart, one who's being consecrated to the work of a priest, one who performs the work of the mediator, one who is to perform the task of the go in between, the one who stands between man and God. And, brothers and sisters, Numbers chapter 8 tells us exactly that that the priest would be consecrated to the work of the priesthood by. The act of baptism. Numbers chapter 8 verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the Levites from among the people of Israel and cleanse them. Do this. Cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification upon them. Numbers 8 verse 16. The priest will make atonement for the people of Israel. That there may, there may be no plague among the people of Israel when the people of Israel come near the sanctuary. You see, Jesus was being set apart for his priestly work, for for his priestly work as the one who stands before man and God, as the one who mediates before sinners and a holy God, as the one who is set apart, who is consecrated, who is isolated, as the true mediator, the true Son of God, the real appointed Savior of man, Jesus, the humble priest. And third, Jesus was fulfilling God's promise to provide a priest for the people. Hebrews 5, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. See, this verse tells us that God has appointed His Son to be a priest. See, this verse tells us that this priest did not exalt himself, meaning the way you'd identify this priest is that he would come in humility. And so in the baptism of Jesus Christ, we see Jesus coming before John in humility. We see Jesus coming before John to be separated, to be consecrated as a priest. And this passage tells us that this is how you'll identify my true son. You will come humble and you'll come as a priest. You see, this passage, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, quotes Psalm verse 2, which talks about the nations raging against the king, against God and his anointed one. And brethren, if you have not repented and put your faith in Christ, then you are referred to as a man or a woman who's plotting against God in vain. See, the Bible warns you today, kiss the son, lest he be angry. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Psalm verse 2. This is what we see in this scene. The baptism of Jesus Christ. But well, what else do we see, brethren? Jesus was affirming the ministry of John the Baptist. See John chapter 3. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3. It says in those days John the Baptist came. Preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Brethren, you might have heard that the gospel message is, Jesus loves you. Or you might have heard that uh, the gospel is calm as you are. Friends, uh, this is true, but it is incomplete. See, the message of John the Baptist was not just telling people that, Jesus loves you and come as you are, but repent and put your faith in the coming Messiah. Repent, turn away from sin, be done with sin. You see, this was the message of John the Baptist and Jesus was affirming the message of John the Baptist. Jesus was putting his stamp of approval that this is the true gospel and this is the correct teaching about why I have come. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 5 it says, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Jesus was affirming the ministry of John the Baptist and the message of John the Baptist. And we see that Jesus did not affirm the message of John the Baptist by standing before Him to be baptized. But Jesus also preached the same message. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So, brothers and sisters, we need to be careful that we preach the accurate gospel. Never present a Jesus who is love, but no wrath never present a jesus who welcomes sinners but never calls them to repentance never present a jesus who is all merciful but has no demands upon people see the balanced message of the gospel is jesus is love but repent and put your trust and your faith in him so we saw that the baptism of Jesus shows us the humility of Jesus. It shows us the consecration of Jesus. It shows us fulfillment of prophecy. It shows us the affirmation of the message of repentance. Now we also see that in the message, in the, in the scene of the, the, the baptism of Jesus, we see a commitment made by Jesus to save sinners. We see a commitment made by Jesus to save sinners. We see Jesus making proclamations of salvation. We see the Lord Jesus making salvific proclamations. See, verse 15, But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus tells John, It is fitting that you baptize me, So I can fulfill all righteousness. See, the act of baptism is necessary for the task that he has been sent to do. In the act of baptism, Jesus makes a few proclamations. See, in the act of baptism, Jesus proclaims that he identifies himself with sinners. Jesus proclaims that he is ready for the task of saving sinners. Jesus is proclaiming that he will ultimately bear the sin of sinners. And he will ultimately bear the punishment and the consequence of the sin of the nations. You see, in this act of baptism, Jesus is proclaiming that he will live a righteous life. And he will die on behalf of sinners, not for himself, but for others, because he did not have sin, but others had sin. And this baptism is a signi- it, sign- it signifies that one who takes it, it dies and rises with Jesus Christ. You see, he's he's making this proclamation that he is ready to obey his father's will. That his life and death will will restore man to God. Jesus is making proclamations in his baptism. That he will be a blessing to the nations. That he is willing to die for them. That he will be raised with them. And that he will become the substitute. And that's what we see in this scene one, the baptism of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes salvific proclamations. Now, if this was a movie, say, cut! And we move to scene two. The dramatic sequel, scene two, from Matthew chapter three, verse 16 to 17. Now, what do we see in this scene 2? Look at verse 16b. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. See, what is the meaning of the Son of God? The Bible uses this term quite a lot to refer to jesus christ in matthew chapter 14 verse 33 uh, uh, we see how jesus intervenes uh, and and people say this about him they say truly you are the son of god now what does son of mean son of x or son of god or son of the tool maker or son of a winemaker. What does that mean? You see, that this term, son of, was often used to describe someone's job, someone's skill, or, or someone's family trade. See, during this time, your, your father's vocation would often be your vocation as a son. So your father's trade became your trade. Your father's job became your job. Your father's skill became your skill. So if your father was a toolmaker, as a son, you became a toolmaker. And you were called a son of a toolmaker. So if your father was a winemaker, you'd become an expert in winery, and you'd eventually be called the son of a winemaker. So if your father was a builder, then you'd become an expert in building You'd become a skilled builder of houses, and you'd be called the son of a builder. You see, plainly speaking, this term, son of, meant that you represent your father's trade, you represent your father's reputation, your father's desire, and your father's legacy. In Matthew chapter 13, we see an account of Jesus Christ going back to his hometown to preach. And people were surprised at his great teaching and wisdom. Because they knew what kind of family he came from. They knew that he came from a family of carpentry and not biblical scholarship. In Matthew 13, verse 54, it says this, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. And listen to what they said. They said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? And listen to what they asked. They asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Where did this man get all these things? See, these people were surprised because they expected great furniture from Jesus Christ, but not such great biblical and scholarship teaching. So, brothers and sisters, when we think of son of, we must think of someone who fulfills their father's trade, someone who takes over the family's business, someone who carries forth the desires and wishes of their father, someone who does the work of their father so in this scene we see now this voice appearing and it says this is my beloved son with whom i am well pleased see the idea here is that jesus is the son of god and well you might say well i understand what the son of a carpenter or the sign of the, the the son of a A builder or a winemaker means but what does the son of God mean? What does the son of God do? What is his vocation? What is his task? You see, the task of the son of God is to serve God to reveal God to people and to show people the way of salvation and brothers and sisters in the old testament, Israel was meant to be this in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is, is, is God's chosen people. They were set apart for a special purpose. Israel was blessed with the promises of God. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, we see the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The, the idea here, God makes a promise to Abram that I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God's desire for the offspring of Adam, of Abraham, was that they would live in a way that tells the nations that there is a God and he is worthy of worship and total surrender. See, God's purpose with calling Abram was that his offspring would proclaim to the world that God is faithful, that God is holy, and that God is trustworthy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see that this continues to be the call of the Israelites by God. Deuteronomy 6, uh, it says this here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, these are the words that God commanded the Israelites. That they would live in a way that they display to the nations that God is holy. That God is merciful, that God is kind, and that God is worthy of total surrender, that God is worthy of total allegiance, that God is worthy of all the worship, God is worthy of all the commitment, God is worthy of our obedience. But Israel was not always faithful to God. Israel failed to live up to the standards of God. And even though God referred to Israel as as my son, God referred to Israel as his son. But in Isaiah chapter 1, we see this lament when God looks at how Israel is behaving. And it says this, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against him. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's creed. But Israel does not know. My people don't understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. You see... Brothers and sisters, this is the pattern of the Old Testament. Israel is called the Son of God, is called out to represent God to the nations, but fails over and over again. So what will happen to the promises of God? Will God forsake his covenant? Brothers and sisters, Matthew shows us that Jesus becomes this new and better Israel. Where Israel failed, Jesus rises triumphantly. Where Israel was weak, Jesus became dominant. Where Israel lacked, Jesus provided to the uttermost. So in Matthew chapter 2 verse 15, Matthew cites, he, he quotes a passage from Hosea and he applies it to Jesus. The Bible is saying to us here that Jesus becomes this new and better Israel. And Matthew quotes a passage out of Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 that says, My son I have called out of Egypt. And it applies that passage to Jesus Christ signifying and saying clearly and explicitly that Jesus is the new and better Israel. Jesus is the new and better Son of God. You see, what follows next is that we see the Spirit of God and the voice of God, the Father, coming together to affirm Jesus, putting their stem of approval on the proclamations of Jesus Christ. What we see in the words of God is a public affirmation of Jesus as the Son of God, the one who fulfills His Father's desires. Friends, we hear these words This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. These are words of approval. These are words of support. These are words of validation. And these are words of commendation. You see, these are words of commendation, words of validating. This is God himself saying, this is my son. He represents me. He has come to fulfill my purposes. He has come to execute my covenant. He has come to accomplish my salvation. You see, this is God the Father saying, I'm in agreement with the proclamations of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus was making these proclamations in scene one, that as I'm being baptized here, I represent sinners, God the Father says, yes, you will do that, my son, and you will do that successfully. You see, when Jesus was saying, I will live righteously for them, and I will die for them, and I will be raised for them, and my righteousness will be imputed to them, it is God the Father saying, yes, my son, you've got my full support. And it is God giving his stamp of approval on Jesus as the qualified and true son of God. You see, friends, this is why as a church we insist on preaching Jesus and preaching Him exclusively as a Savior of all men. Jesus is not a Savior amongst others. Jesus is not one of the options to get saved. Jesus is the only God chosen, God ordained, God endorsed, and God supported Savior. Jesus is endorsed by God as the true Son of God who brings Salvation, and this is our conviction. He alone brings peace to men, and this is what people desperately need today to be reconciled with God. Jesus Christ alone is the one who dispenses mercy and grace. He alone gives access to God. He alone removes our burdens. He alone provides salvation for men. And he alone has exclusive right to provide sinners access to God. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest brothers and sisters jesus christ himself is our captain he is our armor he's our strength he's our victory jesus is hell's terror his heaven's delight and his earth's hope will you trust him will you depend upon him will you rest on his complete works will you seek only what pleases him will you serve him Will you proclaim his message? Will you you be confident in his mercy and provisions? Will you make him your exclusive trust? Will you fight your doubts? When doubts attack you, will you fight back with scripture? Will you strike back with scripture and say, My Savior is God-endorsed. It is God who said about Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well-pleased pleased. And if I've put my trust in him, no doubt can come against me. Will you put your faith in him? In the mid-16th century, there was a missionary called Francis Xavier from 1506 to 1552, and he wrote about the troubles of his mission to China. So he was a missionary in China and he was writing back, and this is what he said, so the danger of all dangers would be to lose trust and confidence in the mercy of God. To distrust him would be to distrust de- him would be a far more terrible thing than any physical evil all the enemies of God put together could inflict upon us. For without God's permission, neither the devils nor their human ministers could hinder us in the slightest degree. See, what this missionary is saying is that the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is for that Christian to doubt God's saving power and God's mercy. Such a Christian will be weak and powerless. But a Christian who is rock-solid dependent on God's forgiveness will never be stopped. Nothing can stand on his way. A Christian can only have this rigid dependence upon God if he truly knows that Jesus is his qualified Savior, the Son of God. Friends, look at the proclamations of Jesus in His baptism, and look at the affirmations of God in the response, and put your trust in that. Jesus is the Author of creation; is the Lord of every man. His cry of love rings out across the lands. He left the gaze of angels, and he came to seek and to save the lost. He exchanged the joy of heaven for the anguish of the cross, and with a prayer he fed the hungry, and with a word he stilled the seed. And yet how silently he suffered that the guilty may go free. And so in this baptism of Jesus Christ, we observe that Jesus makes proclamations to save sinners, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, the, uh, the the other two members of the Trinity are in agreement and they make affirmations on the proclamations of Jesus Christ that He is the true Son of God. He is the true Savior of the world. And will you put your trust in Him? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that we would have a fresh perspective of who you are, your glory, your greatness, your sufficiency, your superiority, your your purity and your majesty. We pray that we would have a big perspective of who you are and what you've done for us, so we may not be tossed to and fro by false teaching and doubts and feelings and circumstances in our lives. We pray that you'd make us a rock-solid church that depends fully upon you and your completed work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.